Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch where we continue our series on the seven S's to help you take control of your life. Now we've already covered the first episode on sustenance and wow, we really received quite a bit of feedback on that episode. So today we're going to go through to the second S, which is starvation. But for those of you who are new, the other S's that we're going to cover is sleep, strength as an exercise, sunshine, socializing, and lastly, stress. Now, these are the seven S's, if you like, the seven elements of the seven controllables that are so vital to your health. My guest on this journey who was with us in last week's episode is definitely a unique health expert who last week downloaded some very new and very interesting information. And as we go through these seven S's, what you're going to gather is that there is a symbiotic relationship between all of them and they all impact your health in a very profound way. So it's important that you really listen to this whole series and implement all the tips and the techniques and they're all very practical. And Dr. Scott Wustenberg, who's my guest on this journey, is speaking from practical experience, clinical experience. So this is not just informative. We're going to be sharing stuff with you that's going to empower you to take control of your health. And it comes at a very, very good time because we're all coming out of this pandemic. And to an extent, I feel like a lot of us have outsourced our health, outsourced that function of taking care of ourselves where we felt, to a lesser extent, disempowered, really. We felt, well, heck, there's nothing that I can do that matters, or I don't know what to do. There's so much information out there. But these seven S's will help you maintain your immunity, your happiness, and your energy levels. And they're the three things, really, that are essential to our survival. Because as Dr. Scott's going to tell us, it all comes back to our survival instinct. Now, if you're new to the series... Dr. Scott Wussenberg is the principal practitioner at Advanced Rehab right here in Australia. Yes, we have some incredible experts here in Australia, which we are bringing you on our podcast. You know, most people are listening to the American experts, but we have some amazing thought leaders in this country, including Dr. Scott, who's a teacher in nutrition chiropractic neurology and holds masters in nutritional medicine scott is far from your average practitioner so he uses a range of techniques and as he said to me i use whatever works ranging from neuro rehabilitation sacro-occipital techniques soft tissue orthopedics diversifies techniques biomechanics and cranial therapy and you also use orthomolecular medicine to treat holistically my experience with yourself, Dr. Scott, has been mainly on the nutritional side, but I'm learning so much. So it is with gratitude that you've agreed to come onto our podcast because I do know that you keep a very low profile and you do like focusing on one-on-one Absolutely. Uh, experiences with your clientele because you don't take a cookie-cutter approach to health. You don't like the, the businesses out there who are trying to fit people within protocols. one program and mm-hmm. protocols. And if you didn't listen to our first episode, go back and learn about why it's so important for you to recognize that you are so bio-individual and your bio-individuality is sacred to you and you've got to respect that and it's about knowing thyself and we went through a lot when it comes to sustenance as in the food you eat 
we went through a number of tests, three main ones and two secondary ones that we talked about that I think are absolutely critical. Everyone should know. I agree. Yeah, everyone should know these tests. But last week we talked about sustenance. So everyone is focused on food, but more recently everyone was focused on also fasting. Fasting. So the second starving in the series is starvation. I didn't want to call it fasting. No. First of all, it's going to ruin my seven S's because <laughs> it's memorable. Yes. Uh, but our ancestors starved. Yes. And that's what we're designed to do. We're not designed to fuel up every time. We are a plenty and famine species. And I think one of the more interesting concepts, especially as we come out of COVID, is that there's this classic COVID bod. People have sat at home, locked away, they've eaten and they've drunk and they've come out bigger. They've come out heavier and they've come out less healthy. So I think starvation is actually a really positive thing to be talking about at this moment in time. Does being heavier mean unhealthier? Ultimately, in my opinion, yes. Okay. Okay. So there's some really interesting concepts there because everyone says, yes, but it's muscle. And I say, but your heart has to power all that muscle. And many, many, many bodybuilders die at 40 of heart attacks. Is that right? Yeah. There is only so much strain you can place on it because the blood vessels, whether it's going through fat or whether it's going through muscle, it has to be powered by that pump. It's not a very big pump. It's about the size of your fist. Right, right. So if you load it up with an extra 50 kilos of muscle on the, your frame, that's an extra 50 kilos of pressure that heart has to push blood through. So your resting heart rate is a very... It's a great indicator. Indicator, okay. Yep. Yep. But there are other factors in behind that as well. And so oxygen saturation and one of the things that we do with individual patients is we'll run a test that's looking at blood venous gases so it measures the partial pressure of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the bloodstream for how well saturated how well nourished of oxygen because one of the problems that we do is we have these o2 monitors that we stick on someone's finger and it measures the saturation of oxygen per red cell yeah right but that doesn't mean that that oxygen on the red cell is getting into the tissue It's not being released and dissolved into the body. That's right. So measuring that tells us an awful lot about people's health. And people can be oxygen starving. And sometimes that's because they don't breathe very well. They have stress breathing patterns. We're going to talk about that when we cover stress. Yes. Because that is a silent stress that nobody is aware of. And that's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of people. Yep. But in general terms, human beings are designed to be quite lean most of the time. And then put on weight when foods are plenty. And then because traditionally food hasn't been a plenty, we haven't had supermarkets all over the place and industrial farming and Smith's crisps or whichever snack food that's high in salt and carbs and fats. These things are designed by food scientists to be the ultimate Moorish. Your brain goes, oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. I, I want that. And it doesn't turn off. Yeah. And that makes us, especially when stressed, because they know categorically that we hunt for sweet fat salt when we are under stress because they're energy foods, okay? So we come out of COVID having had delivery of readily available, like the the benefits of Uber Eats is you can get food at any time, but generally of low quality. 
Yes. Okay. It's not great quality food. You can get sodas being delivered and you can get hamburgers and fries delivered, but it's all full of sweet, salt, fat. And the problem is, is that when you're stressed and eating that, you will store that as body fat, usually between the breast line and the mid thigh because it's easy to move around with. So no, I, I am- Because that's the center of gravity. the center of gravity. Jesus. So there are some epigenetic types here. Some people will store a layer of fat underneath the skin all over the place, and other people will store it more as a, a belly, hip sort of thing. And it depends on which combination of genes you have yep. as to whether that's gonna go on. But in general terms, I am not the current woke person, and I do not believe, I, I get the idea of loving yourself yes. and I get the idea of accepting your body, but my blunt statement is that putting on excessive weight, whether it's fat or excessive muscle, is very hard on the human being. Yep. Okay? I would still say that probably excessive fat is worse than excessive muscle in general terms. Okay. Okay? Yep. Now, people can come at me and they can bring their arguments and bring their scientific papers that show that what I've just said is not true, but I'll stand and have that argument. Yes. Because you see people day to day. Yep. Excessive body fat drives oxidative stress. And the mid-body fat cells actually release estrogen. Yep. And they drive the greater accumulation of mid-body fat. And that is highly associated with diabetic risk factors. It also releases interleukin-6, which drives inflammation, which damages arteries, damages tissue, damages brains. It is highly associated with depression. We know categorically that excessive interleukin-6 in the bloodstream for a chronically long period of time will drive down people's moods and their resilience. Wow. So <laughs> I don't care what people yeah. say. The data is in. Yes. You can be as lovely and then you're not allowed to fat shame me as you want. It's not fat shaming. It is an absolute scientific reality for the general person that excessive fat over a chronic is, period of time. What is now, excessive fat then for oh, male and female? Because I've been told 15% body fat is the sweet spot for males, 20% yep. for females. That, that would be about right yeah. in general. Maybe a little bit more for some people will think a little bit less. It again, it's going to depend on how high you are. I used to hate the BMI. I yeah. used to think it was a terrible measure, but the BMI is a really interesting measure because it's quite blunt. If you are too heavy or you are too light, you will die young. Yes. Okay, so it's a U-shaped curve. You yeah. get too lower body structure, you will yep. die young. Yep, yep. And people don't realize that. They're only thinking of the top end. So you lose muscle mass, you lose bone density, you lose fat mass chronically, yep. your life will end much shorter than expected. Yep. So that's really important. But if we use BMI as a starting point, and people say, ah, oh, but it doesn't take account of muscle mass. Exactly as I said, excess mass on your heart will end your life sooner. That's yep. what the data shows. Okay. So we want to try and keep ourselves somewhere around 23 as a BMI. Whatever height to mass you are, you are aiming to be reasonably lean. Now, remember what we said chronic weight gain. We are designed for boom bust. So you eat loads of nourishment and you put stacks of weight on and then we're not gonna find food for another three weeks or etc. Guess what you do? You live on your fat storages. Yes, so we're meant to starve sometimes. We, we absolutely are. Right, and that's why I call it starvation. Yes. One of the S's because we are meant to go through these periods of starvation. Yes. 
So why is it important that we starve ourselves every now and then? I used to get very stressed. Yes. If I woke up in the morning and I just took off to work as thinking, oh my God, I gotta get food, I gotta get food. Now, with the knowledge that I know about yes. the importance of starving intermittently and inconsistently, yes. I think, geez, my body is actually detoxing it. A lot of good things are happening. So it tell us why, why is it important to starve every so now and then? The body requires those moments to make it lean and mean. And it has this process called autophagy. And autophagy is basically a facet of the immune system. And it goes around and says, you're old, I'm going to kill you. You're old, I'm going to kill you. And we're going to get rid of all of those less functional cells that are costing extra energy. And we're going to keep the ones that are really prime and really helping us be at our absolute so it best. It recycles the old cells. It gets rid of the old cells. And Why it takes, old cells bad? Well, old cells have a greater risk of mutation, actually. Cancer. And cancer can come from that. Right. Old cells in your, your arteries could make the connective tissue more weak and then in which case when you have that sudden burst of speed yes. and you load your vascular tree you could tear it and stuff comes out in the wrong spot so the goal is to make you as lean and as energy efficient as you can be because remember we're starving there's no food yes. so the leaner i can get you and the less expensive cells that aren't helping us I can get you, the more of you is going to survive this famine. Yes. So it's a cyclic process of yep. we've got a stimulus from the environment, there's no food. Oh, better do something about this. How do I make me more efficient that I'm going to come through this and not die? And so all of us are the end result of this. On that note, why do we get a lot of energy when we're starving? I get so much energy and my mind gets really sharp. So as you start to starve, you start yeah. a process of gluconeogenesis and you start burning ketones. And so the brain really likes burning ketones. Even if you're not on a ketogenic Even diet. Even if you're not on a ketogenic diet, it's a natural part of your biochemistry. When there's no food coming in, yep. you have to keep the brain going. So if you starve yourself every now and then, you really don't need to be on a ketogenic diet to get the benefit. Right? Correct. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so again, what you're then doing is yeah. with this autophagy is you're getting rid of cells, including brain cells, that are costing you more energy. And the more we get rid of stuff that's not helpful to us, yeah. the more energy is available so that you can focus on your survival and focus on what's important to you. Now, as there's theoretically no murderous kind of tiger trying to jump out of the bushes or you're not actually yes. going to be starving in a week's time, you can use that for really positive aspects of life, writing a sonnet or, or creating a book or, you know, yes. you can use your clarity of vision for creative purposes. Whereas probably your million-year-old forebear was going now how do i make this trap and how do i catch that thing and how do i climb up there to make sure and it was using that energy for its absolute best survival in a very different fashion than what you're doing it's a design feature of us we can so hack our performance correct using this design feature right? absolutely so if you have a presentation at 11 a.m yes don't eat don't eat now there are exceptions to this as in there always are, but... <laughs> so there's a particular gene yeah. called a G6PC2, right? Now, this particular epigenetic 
feature for some people is dominant and for others they can have it and it doesn't cause anything and other people don't have it at all. But this particular feature says that I need to eat small amounts consistently. That's where the six small meals a day to keep fueling the yes, system comes that. from, right? <laughs> Outdated. For, well, it, it is and it isn't because yeah. remember, everyone has an epigenetic fingerprint. And so for some people, that is absolutely them and it will always be them. Really? Absolutely. Because my grandmother was like that. She yep. just grazed the whole day. Yep. Yep. She possibly had it. But yeah. then the genetic recombination of your parents are kind of different, aren't they? Yes. And so maybe you got like dad on the other side or et cetera, had a different sequence of genes that yep. are more dominant in your system. Yep. Okay. So for one phenotype, the concept there of not eating beforehand could actually be disastrous because what their body will do is release a bucket load of cortisol to get gluconeogenesis going and they're going to get really agitated ah, and stressed. Okay, I'm glad you raised that because I've been intermittently intermittent fasting. Yeah, good. We're going to talk about what I mean by intermittently <laughs> yeah. intermittent fasting, but there is this spot where I get to and my body is saying, uh-uh. That's enough. Yeah, you need to eat now, dude, mm. right? Because I get shaky. Yes. And sometimes irritable. Yes. So Hangry. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's actually worse than hangry. I used to get hangry when it was all about glucose. Yes. Right, because I would eat a lot of bread and pasta and all that. And when the carb cravings kick in, I would get hangry. Yes. This is different. This was like my body's under stress. Here. Yes. And it was like this genetic switch kicked in saying... You're out in the wilderness, there's nobody around, there's no food, you're going to die if you don't eat. So it was a very different stress, I could just sense that. So people then need to know why it's important. Yes. How do we mimic that starvation that our ancestors went through, which was so good for them? Yes. And it is proven through the process of autophagy, it keeps us young, it makes our skin cells younger exactly eye cells has everything it actually keeps you younger and fitter so you live longer so right? there's so this is really important stuff it, it is there's several kind of different concepts on why unfortunately we haven't got a true answer as to exactly yeah. but i like i think it's professor david sinclair, sinclair yep. yep so he works with time windows of eating yes. and pulsing of food and nutrients into you so it's the idea of mimicking starvation and restricting when certain chemicals are hitting your system. Yep. Because if we think about a factory, right? Yep. If the factory machines are only running for two hours a day, then we don't wear out those machinery. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, if you can get 24 hours of efficiency out of running those machines for two hours a day or three hours a day or four hours a day, that factory is going to last a lot longer, isn't it? Okay, yep. that I think is a, a synopsis of his yes. concept, right? So what does that look so, like so what for it, the layperson? For the layperson, it might mean that we do, rather than intermittent fasting, we might start with time-restricted eating. So we would eat in a 10-hour window and not eat for 12 hours and then go to an 8-hour window and not eat for 14. Okay. You know, it's bringing that number down and then working out what your window of opportunity that works best for you actually is. And right. then yep. now and again, throwing in a 24 or a 48 hour water fast. 
right? And so as in not drinking water. No, no, drinking water. Yeah. So you're keeping hydrated because yes. we want the fluid as the medium of detoxification. We want to pee out yep. those bad yep. things in us, right? I'm not the greatest fan of dry fast, and right. some people are great exponents, but again, what I know to be true is that if you lower the hydration level of your brain, very, very small amounts, you get big declines in performance. Jeez, okay. Okay. I'm gonna have a drink. Yeah, yeah good. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I think staying hydrated is incredibly important. It, mm. It's a solvent. The water flushes stuff out of us. So that's my preference. And again, other experts out there who've got mm. better knowledge than I do might disagree. And I'm okay with that. I just want to learn more. By the way, I don't know too many people with better knowledge than you, Scott. But <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. That's very kind of you. As I say, water fast versus dry fast is an area that I have my reading and opinions on, I'd like to understand more about the dry fast. I just can't find a lot of really good science on it. So okay. someone's got some, I'm all in. Well, ears. let's stick to food fasting yep. then. So basically what you're saying is this windows, right? Yes. So this is what I'm doing. Some days yes. I'll have a meal at 12 yes. noon, a meal at 6 p.m. Yes. And that's it. Okay. Other days I'll wake up and I'll have 10 a.m., yes. 2 p.m., and 7 p.m., three meals. Perfect. Another day, I might just have one meal a day. Yep. I have zero trouble with any of that. So, so that's what we mean by inconsistently starving yourself. Correct. So, now, you could have a two-hour window, so yeah. you eat between 10 and 12 every day, Yeah. and eat at 10, at 11, and at 12. You can do that. Yeah, of course you can. You've just split all your nourishment into three meals rather than one meal, but you've held it Within, within two hours. Yeah. You know, I actually like that because if you asked me how would you prefer to eat, I'd prefer to eat between a window of nine o'clock yes. and say one o'clock okay. for four hours. Yes. But constantly eat that whole time. Yeah, cool. Absolutely because fine. As soon as I finish the first, like I typically start with a smoothie. Yes. And then within an hour, I want to eat something else. Yeah, good. And something else. And, and that's then. absolutely fine. But remember that concept that I've spoken to you about. Intermittent fasting is you need a little sister who loves you but doesn't like you because you've been mean to them previously in life. And my favorite concept is this idea of randomness because the human being... Yes. And it, yep. it's... It's my one disagreement, and I don't claim to be as expert in any way, shape, or form as David Sinclair, but my take on it is it's got to be random, because I've tried this, and so I've done two years of intermittent fasting, and what tends to occur is that you end up, and I fasted on Monday, and I fasted on a Thursday, and I fasted, because yeah. it suited my lifestyle. Yes. And so you do that for six to 12 weeks, and that's not random that's your lifestyle right so what we're talking about is your preference of i'd eat at nine through to one but that's time restricted eating and that is once you get adapted to that that's a lifestyle and it doesn't have the hormesis threat effect yeah. so when so I, I have to mix it up yeah in the yeah. first six months of doing intermittent fasting i lost lots of weight and i was full of vibrancy and, and then it slowly i started to put it back on again when i went off gluten i had the yeah. every diet that's why when we spoke about last time there's no one diet and they all have a grace period yes. of somewhere between one and two years before you run out of benefit from it and then you have to consider but people get hooked up in their belief system and their belief this diet's the best one there's no good diet 
They're all good diets, you know. So there's no good fasting either. There's no good fasting either. Yeah. It's got to be random because remember, your forebears didn't starve because they chose to. They starved because they were crappy hunters. Yeah. Or yeah. they couldn't find or much. Or there was drought. Or there yeah, was, uh, yeah. No, I was figuring they were just crappy hunters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're quite right. It was conditioned by the environment and the conditions at that moment in time where they were where they were in their nomadic cycle what was available it wasn't through choice they weren't going i think i'll not eat today until my smoothie at midday that wasn't a thing they were so we're trying to reproduce our ancient way of life exactly that's why you need someone who doesn't like you so that they ring you up. It's not your day today, Sam. <laughs> and tomorrow they ring you up and go, today is not your day either. Oh, and so yeah. it's completely random. And so we need a random generator that kind of says, right, today you have a four-hour window and it's starting at three o'clock. Hey, okay. What? And if you can't eat because you're in a meeting with senior management team at 3 p.m., yeah. guess what? Today is not your day. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And we just have to face that because it's not meant to be convenient to your lifestyle. That's where I went wrong yeah. because I just adapted what I was doing to convenience myself. And as soon as you do that, you are not going to get the beneficial hormesis. Because again, hormesis is a small degree of a toxin or stressor to stimulate adaptation and growth and the survival of the organism. So when we're fasting, when we're starving, when we're getting lean and mean from autophagy, we are trying to adapt to overcome the threat. Yep. Okay? We're yep. thriving. And what we're doing is we're using our intellect now to use those stimuluses to make us a better, more interesting, stronger version rather than something soft and pudgy. Yep. Is starving yourself in that fashion, is that an essential S for everyone? I would say almost everyone. Or, yeah. Almost everyone. I think if you look from just a, a spiritual perspective, okay, we look at all of the major religions, right? Yeah. They all have some degree of starvation yes. as a trial, as a purification, as a cleansing. If we step back from the religiousness, because this isn't what that's about, the ancients who devised those systems of thinking knew something. They knew that there is a benefit to right. it. Yep. And therefore, yeah. we get a lifting of mind and a lifting of our being from the purification, as for instance, you know, giving things up for Lent. You yep. gave up food, alcohol, etc. Ramadan, you time-restricted eat. You don't eat in certain times. You don't drink in certain times. The ancients knew, yeah. and we have become dulled by corporatism and TVisms and TV dinners and the new and the flashy and the colorings and the preservatives and the addictiveness. I don't want to give up food. It's hard. It's yummy. I don't want to. <laughs> and we've become soft. We're not yeah. strong. It's interesting that the lowest rates of cancer in the world are in countries that fast. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, again, David Sinclair would actually talk about that. Mm. Your machinery is not wearing out. Again, this idea yeah. that our cells have to divide to make daughter cells and recreate ourselves. The more sugars you put into you, the faster your metabolism runs, the faster right. yep. you are replicating yourself yep. and the replication mm -hmm. drives mistakes, okay? And the more replication going on, 
the more you chew through your resources like B12, your methyl groups. And without enough methyl groups, because you've had to use it for detoxification of garbage, the more likely your DNA structure is to be unstable and get inappropriately copied, which yep. allows those mistakes to go on and make precancerous and then leading on to cancerous cells. So I think that's, uh, I can't sit here and say absolutely, but I can't sit here and say absolutely, but I think there's a lot to that. And I oh, think over time we'll probably prove I, that. I think absolutely. So people that are listening now, I would put this second S in the essential bucket. I, yes. I think it's absolutely essential. It's a form of sustenance. It's just the exactly. inverse form inverse of form, it. Which is just as important. Yes. Yeah. But again, my golden truth to everyone out there who's listening is starvation fasting, intermittent, whichever version you want to talk about is not to be just done where I, I've never done this before, so I'm going to do a three-day water fast. You're going to get into trouble. You have to pay it respect. Absolutely. Well, th that was my next question. And that is, there's people that fast for like 24 hours, 48 hours. Yes. Now, I've never tried that or 72 hours. Ever been sick? How does the body respond when you get a decent virus? You don't eat for like two days, three days, I right? I remember the last time I got sick. Good, good, good. <laughs> But yeah, that's right. So yeah. the process, your body deals with it, mm. okay? You are very capable. You are designed for this, okay? Your body naturally adapts that way when you are under inflammatory threat. Okay. But there's a difference because when you're sick, usually you're kind of sidetracked with the suffering of I'm aching, I'm sore, I'm feverish, I'm febrile. Mm. When you're doing it on purpose you're very consciously aware of the suffering of not eating. That's right. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> so one of the benefits of, of a water fast whereby you're allowed to drink fluids is that it keeps your tummy feeling full and it makes you feel like this isn't so bad afterward. But again, I suggest that you start with these windows and you go from I eat anytime I want to I eat in a restricted window to I only eat two hours to then... I've just had 24 hours without anything. Eating, yep. And then you expand and you go to, I did 30 hours and you make a 48 hour fast. I personally don't think anyone should go past a 72 hour fast. Okay. okay. Now That's other people, yep. other people will disagree. I believe we need nourishment, not calories. And the body requires certain amounts of nutrients going in. And again, my experience with patients is most patients are more malnourished than they believe. And their epigenetic SNPs show that they don't hold on to things like B12 or vitamin A or whichever. Yep as yep. much as we might have done 100 years ago or because things yeah. have changed. There's a whole bunch of reasons. And the problem is, as soon as you get malnourished enough, your body will decompensate and it will start stealing from one area, robbing Peter to pay Paul, and then choosing what's its most important jobs to do and something will lose out. And after about three days of not having nutrients, not calories, but nutrients, nutrients. Yep. you're going to start showing up some of those problems. Now, the problem is even a supplement might count as a breaking of a fast, according to Dr. Sinclair's work. Yep. And therefore, should we be taking the supplements in the window? And therefore, should you also be having a fast of supplements at different moments in time? Keep the food, no supplements for the day. Taking breaks from things so it's not... Same, 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 same. 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 Yeah, I do that. I good. break from good, supplements. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. So 
I think that's a really sensible thing to be doing. I, I really like that idea. I think fasting for 24 hours from both food and supplements. As I say, I'm not a keen fan of fasting from water. Other people can disagree, but I think it, it's yeah. essential to keep the flushing going because I believe aging occurs as well, apart from when the machinery is being overused, when there's not enough dissolved solvent, the water, to keep the machinery operating. Yep, no, that's a fair comment, yep. And people are more dehydrated than they imagine. What do you think of uh, juice fasts, where you drink nothing but like vegetable juice with a little bit of fruit juice? I'm not a fan. Neither am I, but that's why I thought yeah. I'd ask. I think doing some, like I, I'm not a fan of juicing because again, mm. in most vegetables, the, the most important thing is actually the fiber as much as anything else because even vegetables like carrot for instance is phenomenally sweet it's got lots and lots and lots of fructose in it now when it's retained by the fiber you don't get it all yep. but when you juice it you're breaking it open and allowing that stuff to come out and then you're really only drinking the liquid and some of the vitamins and minerals and it will keep you going but it will still count as calories so you're not really fasting in the same way. I think it's really, they, they should call it a juice detox rather than a juice fast. Absolutely. But my experience with juicing is not good. I mm. think it spikes insulin. Yep. And especially with what they use. And if you don't do it with organic vegetables, you're actually littering your body with a lot of nasty chemicals as well. But I thought I'd mention that. It's definitely not my favorite. I think detoxification is classically oversubscribed. And again, people sell lots of detox programs and lots of detox products. Yeah. You detox every night when you sleep, yeah. every night. Yeah. So if you've got a problem with detoxification, A, we need to look at your sleep. B, we need to look at your resources. C, we need to look at your epigenetics to make sure that that stuff is actually being primed to do the job properly. So Rather than these ideas, right, I'm going to do a six-week detox program and I'm taking the supplement off, <laughs> just drives me mental. People get wealthy off it, but people don't get healthier because they were not being taught how to look after themselves for their life yeah. as against relying yeah. on the practitioner to say, here's, give me $200 or whatever it is for these pills and you're going to, that's a stupid way of doing it as far as I'm concerned. So we don't do that, everyone. <laughs> we look at your background, what's in you, what's not in you, how your cells work, how to make you detox appropriately on a daily basis. And again, I bluntly point out, if you're not sleeping or you're not sleeping well, you are not detoxing and you're filling up with garbage. And we're going to talk about the sleep in a coming episode. But on that note, I can't believe it's been 40 minutes already talking about starvation as one of the seven S's to help you take control of your life. So Dr. Scott Wustenberg is going to be on this journey with me for the next five episodes as we cover the next five S's. On that note, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Thank and you as all. always, live consciously, my friends. And Scott, thank you again. You are most welcome. It was lots of fun. <laughs>